0: Hello and welcome to Dateline Hamden on WNHH-FM, New Haven and Hamden's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Today we have the honor of speaking with someone who has just started making his community tick and has wasted no time in that pursuit. His name is Daniel Dunn. He's a police commissioner, new police commissioner in Hamden. You've been reading about him in Nora Grace Blood stories, and he's here in the flesh to give us some background. Daniel Dunn, welcome to WNHHFM. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here. So um, the main thing, though not the only thing you've been in the news for, is leading the charge to have the Hamden Police Department make public more records of how they deal with citizen complaints. And in response to your request, they pulled a Richard Nixon and destroyed a whole bunch of them. But, you know, we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about some other issues you've already raised. You've been a commissioner since January, appointed by a new team in Hampton government, which ran came into power, partly calling for more police accountability. And now, thanks to Daniel Dunn, they're finding out it's a little more complicated than they thought. Daniel, how did it come about? We decided you're 30. So we did a little math. We decided you're 36 years old. How did it come about that you became a police commissioner? You haven't been on commissions before. You're not a politico.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, hey, uh um, please
0: get close to the mic. So you almost definitely- Yeah,
1: certainly. So, um I knew uh a couple of folks in the current administration um through uh, I would say my work with data analysis. So I run a website opengovernment.io. Oh, what is, um, what is that? So it's uh its purpose is to increase transparency and a- facilitate access to information for local governments. Ooh. So if you go onto that website, you'll actually see a few projects, a few simple projects that are low effort, high value that can be replicated in any municipality. And so <clears throat> when did th- you start
0: that, Daniel? Uh, 2019. It's 2019 not your job, right? It's, yeah, your, no. it's your advocation. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big uh, government transparency advocate. Now that's uh, layers. Just a step back for a second, because I don't live in So this new administration comes in and said, "We're going to kick out the old folks. We're going to make government transparent, and we're going to pick someone who's all over transparency." And now they're saying, Uh-oh, "Uh oh, that doesn't mean what we thought it meant, right?"
1: Right, right. It's it, transparency <laughs> is more than just words, right? So materially <laughs> thinking about it, right? What does transparency look like? And it means you know access to information, and there's kind of different levels of that, right? Uh, so you have. Legally complying with a FOIA request, which is kind of the minimum bar. FOIA
0: means Freedom of Information Act. And Connecticut's got a good one. Yes. They formed it as part of the post watergate reforms. And we love it. Our journalists, we love the Connecticut's FOIA. FOIA. Yeah.
1: It's fantastic. And it's uh, been upheld in the Connecticut Supreme Court, you know, several times. Um, basically stating, you know, if there's a public interest in these records, they should be released.
0: Except they're familiar with the Roland case
1: uh that uh, perkins case i think is the one i, I was talking about specific to... john
0: Rowland was running for governor and his best buddy was the police chief of a town and when it released the police record of when he had abused his ex-wife and the reason the the police chief gave who was a fundraiser for the Roland campaign was running for governor was that it's an ongoing investigation even though there was no evidence there was any investigation taking place it was years old and with that mere word i've actually been up on this question with the foic freedom Information commission they often defer to the police, which you sometimes have to, although like I've had an officer under oath say an investigation still ongoing from 20 years ago and couldn't name the last year in which he had spoken to someone. But if the police say ongoing, if they don't want to investigate something, the FOIC still lets them get away with weaseling out of releasing it. Just my little two cents for your right. open accountability <laughs> project. And then he became governor and the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so you started in 2019, you cared about accountability. Access to information is partly legal, what you have to do under FOIC. What else is it?
1: Oh, well, it it looks like a couple of different things. So um, there is a certain opacity through bureaucracy. Um, Mm -hmm. So these documents or these records are kind of hidden behind multiple levels of processes and bureaucrats. So if you want information about something, um, you have to request it and then wait and hope they give it to you. If they don't give it to you, then your only recourse is to
0: file a complaint. And it takes a year.
1: And it takes a year or more. Yeah. Um, and then even then, maybe you won't get it. But these are public records, right? And So you so, need a
0: police commissioner or a journalist to shame them. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah.
1: Um, it, it has to become political at that point because it's yeah. operationally deficient. Um, it's not what they said it was. It, it's not transparent. Is there a third category? Bureaucratic opacity? Um, well, I, I, I would say the positive turn of that would be open data. Mm. Um, and that would be by default
0: publishing public information and making it available. And there's a lot of that now. Yes. You can go online and find a lot about real estate and there are secrets hidden in real estate records that you used to have to wait till stuff was filed and go page by page when something is open and if they could find the book. It's pretty cool. So yeah. you're right. It's not all gloom and doom.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. A lot of, a lot of towns are using this too. And, and what they find, not only is this useful for the public, it's useful internally as well because the workers also don't have access to this information necessarily. They're all siloed, so when you put this information out in one single repository, you have people like public works, engineering department, the police, fire, all being able to see these different metrics. They can analyze it. Um, managers can see, you know, performance indicators, perhaps that they can see. Are
0: there on the land records any um, examples of fines or? Violations posted against a landlord, for instance.
1: Right, exactly. And, and in fact, um, one of the, some of the work that we did was on the property value assessments. We we're able to map the tax assessments in Hamden and show whether there was an increase in the assessment or a decrease. And what the map showed was that by and large, the assessments that increased were almost all in Southern Hamden and the decreases were in Northern Hamden. There's a disparity in, ge- ge- uh, there's a geographic and demographic well, I would argue that's not
0: necessarily bad if it's true. Right. Because they also can now sell their houses for more. Yeah, certainly. And those Northern Hamden at higher values, I'm betting before, I could be wrong, depending right. where in Southern Hampton, whether it's New Hall or Spring Glen. I guess the question for me is then matching those up to a different data set, which is sale prices. Absolutely. One of the yeah. big issues in New Haven is that these build we're, we're saying that value- properties are worth a certain amount of money when we tax them, then they sell for millions more. That's been a big issue. Yeah, certainly. So this is great. So I would like you to work, at, if you don't mind, as a favor, we're doing a police commission if you could move on to the real estate for us in, <laughs> uh, in Hamden and help us smoke out some of the snow sure. floors and flippers. Okay. But <laughs> right now you're a police commissioner. It hasn't been that many months, but it's been very eventful. Yep. So how to it come about? You knew these people? Oh, let me ask you about opengovernment.io. What, what specifically is going on with that these days?
1: Yeah, certainly. So um, I'm working on publishing more information related to financial data. Um, uh, there's C-Click Fix, uh, which the town of Hamden uses, and there's actually a way to scrape all of that data um, and analyze it. So I'll be having a new uh, analysis, a new batch on service requests.
0: And, and that where people request. are having the most and whether they get answered. You're, you're relying on the town to tell you whether they responded, right, because they say closed out or not? Right, and you you can actually see when it was
1: acknowledged or when it was closed, Um, so you can get data on that. How are they doing with C-ClickFix? Are people using it a lot? Yeah, there's a lot of people that are using it, um, but there's kind of frequent flyers, right? So
0: there's a couple of users who submit a lot of issues. There was a point in New Haven, I'd say maybe 10 years ago, when it really hit big. And every day, people are holding up their phone. And when they were mayor, they said, I'm going to see click fix this. And like they felt power. Yeah. And it was based on reality. They were going to do that and people were going to hear about it. It was going to be public. I th- I'm not sure people pay attention the same way they used to. I know what you're seeing in Hamden because that came later to Hamden. Yeah, it's a great tool. I mean, because it, it's it is it's very tool. transparent too. And just in New Haven, now used worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel Dunn, police commissioner making good trouble in Hamden here on Dateline Hamden, WNHHFM. So let's walk people through. This what happened to transparency, you were named to the commission. You knew the people who are saying we want more accountable policing. You said, OK, I'll sign up. Had you been involved in Black Lives Matter protests? Yes. OK, so was that part of the reason you got on?
1: Yes. Uh, for racial justice, um, for police accountability, for oversight. Um, I saw that in you know, cities across America, you know, we, we don't have proper police oversight or police accountability. Or police commission, that. is that an oversight committee? Yeah, absolutely. So it it explicitly states in our town charter, right, that uh, the commission is to provide oversight for the police Mm -hmm. with regard to hiring and with regard to disciplinary issues. Um, Mm -hmm. In practice, that hasn't really been done and it's not being done now. And even if you submit a complaint uh, to Hamden right now, the police commission is not notified
0: of the receipt of that complaint. And I think there's a more existential question here. A lot of people sit on police commissions. say we care a lot about our police. They work hard. They're in a lot of danger. Our job is to support them. Right. And a lot of time that's what you had. You know, they were always against the people who were raising questions about police and they, for their side said, you know, we, we care about a police force. We want to have a good police force. Our job is to make sure rules are followed, but more importantly, support our police. Was that a mistake? Is that kind of contrary to the mission of the or those not as mutually exclusive as they sound?
1: I, I don't think that's mutually exclusive, but I also think that there are tons of other organizations that already do that. Um, the kind of the goal or the charge of the commission is explicitly to provide oversight and accountability for the police. This isn't a PR commission. We aren't sending out comms in praise. You know, our job is to uh, hire fire and discipline mm-hmm. um, and, If we aren't doing that, then we aren't doing our job. And in very many ways, our hands are tied.
0: Why are your hands tied?
1: Well, well, for one, uh, we don't even know about complaints as they come in. Mm -hmm. Um, For two, uh, I requested complaints um, with that FOIA request that we talked about. And I have yet to receive uh, over 33 of them, um, just historically. So I don't know what happened to them. I've asked questions. Have these been shredded? Um, were they destroyed? Are they still saved electronically? So let's, let's, and I haven't,
0: go, I haven't received a, a response. And let's go to the beginning of this story. So people could follow step-by-step step. Daniel Hahn. Mm-hmm. Thanks for writing in Daniel. Daniel won an award that, uh, as president Biden's signature on it for his community service. And he says, how many officers have you voted to hire? I think I want to get that a little later. Cause I saw that mm-hmm. you voted uh, present for six and no to one. Mm-hmm. Have you said yes to any? No. Okay. So we'll get to that. Thanks for that question, Daniel. We will go more no. depth now, but first wanted to get to Daniel's, um, case with this FOI. So I believe it was in April. You asked for records you're not getting. So you just said a moment ago you think the police commission should even though it doesn't be informed about when people complain about the police. So you put a freedom of information request FOI for people who want to follow the jargon for um, all civilian complaints and use of force reports between 2016 and 2022. That's big. I know that they say, oh, my God, it's not work here. So what uh, what made you decide for that time frame and what made you decide to do that as a commissioner?
1: Yeah, certainly. So uh, I realized that it really hadn't been done. If you check out the minutes um, of previous commissions, uh, you'll realize that it was, in essence, a rubber stamp for the police. Um, Mm. They weren't providing oversight. They weren't providing accountability. They weren't investigating complaints or reviewing the complaints. Um, The town charter explicitly states, upon written request, um, the commission shall hear these complaints. Mm. Um, So I requested them. I requested them in late February, so February 25th. And now it's been, I think, over 160 days, and I still have not received
0: all of them. So what was it you asked asked for six years? Right. Over 160 days ago. And how much did you get? Uh, Well, first I got a
1: list of the complaints. Uh, which is quite different than the complaints themselves. Um, so, I at least knew that there were complaints that I wasn't receiving when they finally provided some of them. Um, so they provided about uh, half. Right.
0: So how was, many were there? So uh, Sixty-three,
1: sixty-four. There, there might be more. That was just how many
0: that they said were. And you've list. gotten about thirty. Right. Well, how does it look? What do you learned from these complaints?
1: Um, from the ones I've received, uh quite a bit, really, Um, certainly about the process itself, the investigatory process itself. Um, So there's a lot of different statuses that the complaint can be in. And one of those statuses is unsubstantiated. And unsubstantiated doesn't necessarily mean exonerated, right? Unsubstantiated could mean, hey, we investigated this and We just don't have enough information to sustain this complaint. doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you think about how that process occurs, so it's the police investigating themselves. The police are, in essence, policing themselves. And the only oversight that we have is a five-person volunteer police commission that has only really started doing its job at oversight in February or trying mm. to do its job in February.
0: So of those were most of those 30 unsubstantiated was that what is marked Were mostly exonerated? No,
1: no, it's a, it's a mix and match.
0: Um, were, any, I, I would, were any found legit?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a few that were sustained. Certainly.
0: Um, How many, so sustained, exonerated or unsubstantiated. Those are the three.
1: And I, I believe there was one other, and I think it's an unofficial status, which is counseling, um, which I don't think um, matches exactly with uh, post-standard. Do
0: you have a ballpark how many were um, were, were unsubstantiated? No, I, I'd have to give that More than info. the others? They're about the same? Uh, I would say about,
1: about half.
0: And what did you take from that? I heard you say that that means they weren't necessarily not doing it. So how do you feel about that? What do you learn? What do you draw from that conclusion?
1: Right. So when when I think about what needs to occur for a complaint to actually reach the police, right? I think the person had to have the courage to actually fill out the form and submit it. Um, It had to not be destroyed. It had to be, you know, at least filed um, by the police. And then they had to trust that something would happen after that. Um, So when you think about perhaps how rare that is if a person does indeed have a complaint um, or how reticent they might be to file a complaint, perhaps after being roughed up, um, then you could kind of understand that there's kind of two maybe different types of complaints that come in, kind of the more, I, I don't want to say frivolous, but kind of customer service violation type of complaint, which is, you know, that the officer was kind of disrespectful to me, or something that just really happened that was terrible, that they had to sit down perhaps with a family member and encourage to file an official complaint.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so it's kind of a mixed bag of So of what, what should you be get. done
0: when you see those end products saying unsubstantiated. Yeah. Do you think there needs to be another step? Do you you guys need to be looking at those? Do you need to look at which names come up? In New Haven, there are names that become a lot in cases where cases are settled out of court where the internal review doesn't find them guilty, but they show up a lot. And after a while, that becomes an issue. Do you think there needs to be some kind of oversight of, did you see names come up a lot that were the same names? Did you see patterns in any of the nature of the complaints?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, So I did see, you know, Names that came up frequently, perhaps uh, even in the news or in um, uh, lawsuits, mm-hmm. right? And you can see kind of networks of police officers.
0: They called the Miller's Boys in East Haven. I don't know if you're <laughs> familiar with that case. When the Justice Department came in. Yeah, there were five. Do you think there needs to be follow-up action about these? About these unsubstantiated? Do people need to be looking at the unsubstantiated from outside the police department?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there needs to be a holistic. Review of the complaints. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, bringing someone in for discipline, but just reviewing the process itself
0: and ensuring integrity in the process. There used to be a chief in New Haven a couple of decades ago, who, every time someone fired a gun, he would sit down with them and not get them in trouble saying, wasn't necessarily wrong. You fired a gun. Can we talk about why that happened? If there was an alternative, I always wonder whether there could be a middle ground because of the way debates take place about policing between defensiveness and accusation where we could say we'd all like an outcome where everybody's in less danger. So is there a way to review what happened? Even if we think it might have been a little bit wrong, but understand it to have it not happen again, rather have be so focused on discipline or exoneration.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that really just comes down to fundamentally needing a police who's self-critical, who's willing to admit to wrongdoing and being willing to improve, right? That's the only way we're going to reduce harm. Public safety and policing is not always synonymous. Um, so we need to acknowledge that and confront that and do something about
0: it. You're listening to Dateline Hamden, police commissioner, new police commissioner, and busy police commissioner. Daniel Dunn is our guest today, one of the people on 5M live streamed at org. So, Daniel Dunn, we talked about the half of your request when you when you put in a request for um, over 100 police records. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 63 or 64 police records in late February. One thing you found out is. Records have been destroyed. What was that about? I'm not
1: really sure. Um, I know that in February of, uh, February 25th, I submitted a, requ- a FOIA request, an information mm-hmm. request, um, to the town and to the police chief. And subsequent to that, a uh, form was filled out uh, requesting unsubstantiated complaints or unsubstantiated IA files um, to be destroyed. Um, with the uh, state the state yeah. library. Um, so this was while my request was pending. Um, and there's also a case where are these IA files, are citizen our compl- civilian complaints IA files? These the New are,
0: Haven, they have to be assigned to AI, the chief decides whether to sign it to IA. They're not gonna take up a lot of time if someone said you spelled my name wrong on a forum. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get that. But when you think about the nature of what the record is, when you think about this is a civilian complaint that is filled out by the civilian. It's a it's produced by the public and then it's given to the public.
0: Are is that really an IA, record? So what did you think when you said, okay, I just started being a police commissioner. I just found out they destroyed records I asked for. What went through your mind? Uh well my my expectations
1: were low coming in to begin with, <laughs> and then somehow they were violated. Uh, <laughs> um I, I I really did not think it would it would get to that level. I, I knew they would maybe push back and say, oh no, we're not gonna give these to you in a timely manner, but I didn't think they would go so far as to throw them through the shredder. So did they get, were there electronic background backups for these? Uh, so I believe for some use of force reports, there are um, those need to be submitted to the state mm-hmm. um, for the others. I don't know. And I haven't been given an update on this.
0: Yeah. So the town, the town was embarrassed. Uh, Nora Grace wrote an article um, and then they said, well, It's not exactly what it looks like. We're going to recover all this. We didn't know this was going on. The mayor, who was your ally, by the way, appointed you, signed off on destroying those records. She didn't realize she thought this was routine. So they did promise to get to the bottom of it, right? They hired an investigator and everything. When was that?
1: Oh, it was a few weeks ago.
0: Um, That's all. What time? I thought it was months.
1: Yeah, perhaps. Um, So I don't know when they actually retained uh, the investigator, but the investigator is the
0: same firm. That is representing we'll them get to that of- in a second. Okay. So they <laughs> hired an investigator and they said, we're going to find out why this happened. So the two big questions if I'm not mistaken is why they shred stuff. So I think it's kind of obvious, but anyway, probably good to investigate. But also if there's a backup, it would seem to me everything would have a backup. No. Would civilian complaints be scanned? Uh, you, well, a lot of stuff in Hamden is not scanned. I, I think mm. people
1: assume or presume that everything is digital, but we are still handwriting. So many things, um, and it's causing inefficiencies. It's causing issues with records retention. Um, it's just not—it's not an efficient way to do business. So, were some of these records not
0: scanned? Yeah. You sure?
1: Uh, I'm yes. Yeah, so did you find that out. Uh, well, I was told that there was at least one that was on an ex police chief's computer,
0: and that was the only place so that, that was scanned. If it was on a computer, yeah, I guess so. So, but was so I there don't... anything though that wasn't scanned? I mean, why haven't they gotten you? It's been it's been months since you filed. Why is it that you still haven't gotten thirty something?
1: That's a good question. I don't know.
0: Hmm. Wow. So, okay. So then there's. So then, meanwhile, so you filed a complaint hmm. to the Freedom of Information Commission, that great body that unfortunately has a lot of work, so that takes a year to get there. Um, have you had a hearing yet? No. When no, we have that... a docket
1: number. Uh, the hearing is not scheduled yet. Wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They went once I actually was taking a leave from my job, and this mayor tried to try to make make me go to f i c something we needed, and I was on leave, and I made a point during my leave to go to Hartford so they 'd have to lose, you know because <laughs> I hate that when they do that yeah. yeah yeah um so they uh you still don't know, you still haven't gotten a claim, but has the who's representing the town in that so you're against the town, you're against the people who appointed you for on this matter before the FOIC. Right. Who's representing, why don't they just say, they can decide not to fight it at the FOIC. They could just say, they're right, we're going to provide everything. Why is it going to a hearing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, first of all, I want to get to the bottom of why they were destroyed, right? And perhaps we can suss that out at the hearing. Um, but also, I still haven't received the records. So until mm. that happens, you know, that we're going to have an open case. Um,
0: So, um, so what did you, uh, who do you have a lawyer or? Yeah. So I'm being
1: represented pro bono by, uh, J.R. Sastry. Yeah. He's Mm -hmm. a great transparency.
0: Who's representing the town?
1: Uh, I forget the name of the firm, but it's, uh, they were recommended by Surma or Kerma. And what's Kerma? Uh, I forget what the acronym is, but it's basically the town's insurance company.
0: And so is that, so I thought it was the same people representing them in our FOI commission as we're doing the investigation of what went wrong. Am I right or wrong? (laughs) That's correct. And who is that? Uh, it's
1: a two-name firm. I, I forgot. Milford, that. right? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so, what was the? How did you feel about the fact? That on the one hand, the town said, "Okay, Daniel, we're hiring someone to investigate this," and then they you found out that they also hired the same firm to oppose you up at Hartford in your effort to get records.
1: Well, I, I was pretty upset because I was told that there would be an independent investigation, right. and an independent investigation isn't one where the same firm representing you and trying to mitigate your risk is doing kind of the discovery or fact-finding work for you regarding possible unlawful destruction of records.
0: So how does it feel that you were appointed by a reform team and within months you're predictably at odds with the reform team? How does that feel personally? Do you guys still go out and have beers? I mean, what's the deal?
1: <laughs> it's enormously disappointing. Um,
2: I don't really understand it. Um, I know that... This
1: mayor was out in the streets protesting
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um, for police reform, and we are still seeing the same sort of systems and material outcomes that we had during the previous administration.
0: Have you been able to talk to her about that? She pointed you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we we actually, during our last regular commission meeting, we invited the mayor, Mm -hmm. um, was told that she would be there and she did not show up.
0: Okay. Okay. But Danny, what do you draw from all
1: this? There's a lot of work that needs to be done, and it's and it can't just be words, right? Um, so we need to understand what our systems are, um, the outcomes of our systems, and what we can do to change and reduce harm. Um, so I, I know people across the United States want police accountability, police reform, police transparency, and it has to be more than just words. We have to do something about it. We have to get to the bottom of why we can't properly have oversight in these systems.
0: All You're listening to Daniel Dunn, police commissioner in the town of Hamden. He's visiting us on Dateline Hamden, WNHH-FM. Daniel, you keep talking about systems. So you're a systems guy. Yeah. Your background is tech. You told me, did you grow up in Hamden? No. So you, you, told me before the we went on the air that you actually worked for government in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Or yeah, Durham? yeah, Chapel Hill. Um, so the kind of hippie enclave, the hippie tech enclave right. of North Carolina. That's right. Yeah. And um, what? How? What? Were you there? Born there? No, no. Uh, a
1: lot of my family's from North Carolina, but um, it, during my time there, I managed to, the open data program. So where
0: did where, you grow up, Daniel? Uh, in Florida. Okay, and then you went to college in the research, or just took a good job there? Just, just, just job. Yeah, working for the city for, of, for the yeah, town, city or town, town, town of of Hill. Hill. and what was your job
1: uh, i was the open data project manager and oh, a business cool. analyst yeah and they
0: cared about that
1: yeah yeah so um there there was issues with that as well right um so it was a, a newer program that we were just launching and uh they, when, they, when was this this was in 2016
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so you can see kind of like the different stages or different maturities of municipalities now with regard to transparency, with regard to open data. Transparency is hard.
0: Yeah. It always sounds good to you getting looked at. We're humans, right? Yeah. We like to have our clothes on and up. Mm -hmm. So what uh, what happened in North Carolina? They hired you, say, Daniel, come on in and make us transparent. And then did you have another fight there?
1: No, no. I mean, uh, so they they were reticent to publish certain data. Um, And so we got a policy passed that says, you know, we will um, publish and make data open by default. And I think every town should do that. And what kind of data? So this is everything from um, uh, bus routes to uh, service requests to police data um, to arrests, um, real estate planning data, um, just fire data, you know, calls for service, just anything you can think of that would have a quantifiable metric or even survey data, sometimes
0: even qualitative oh, data. And was your job there to get that stuff up on the web?
1: Yeah. So we had an open data portal, but there are certain systems that you have too where you can actually automate in real time some of the data. So you don't, you can like set it and forget it basically. You
0: don't, you don't have to, someone enter the um, data from a uh, land record of filing a deed. You just have it automatically go there once it's scanned the first time or if someone in the inspection unit cites someone for blight, that'll just go into the flow. Yep, exactly. It's a lot of work. It ain't easy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, but the, the good thing is you set it up once. You kind of go slow to go fast. But what about
0: when software upgrades?
1: That's fine. You know, you just work that in your normal, um, you know, considerations for maintenance. So, so how big
0: of, did it get in Chapel Hill?
1: Uh, we had hundreds of thousands of records um, and uh, several, several data sets and it's, it's great. We have a, they, they still have a lot of GIS data sets. And,
0: and that's Geographical Information Systems?
1: Yes. And are people using it? Yeah, so the, the cool thing uh, uh, there was they have a lot of civ- civic uh, hacktivist groups, they're called. <laughs> and they kind of look at the data, and they can build apps around it and analyze the data. And you get people doing these, this, like, essentially free work for the town just by making the That's data fine. available. But right? then you got to know
0: what to use with the data.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: How to use it. So right. I'll give you one of my bugaboos and see if we ran into this in Chapel Hill. One thing that pisses me off for ideological reasons, whenever I've, I've FOI'd a bid, on a government contract, it's a private company. The private company convinces the town to leave off a lot of information about the company that's in the bid from public view on the grounds that it's proprietary. Like we can't compete against another company in general if they find out how much we pay for this, how we're gonna go about doing that. And it's an honest tension because government has a right to know we should be looking at, because so often contracts are given to someone's friends, we just had a case like this here where some of a local minority-owned company lost out to some new official's friend out-of-state white-owned company, and they got to kind of rig the bid a certain way. And we need, you can't go in and look how they do that. So I understand the company's needs, but I always felt that if you want government welfare or just government business, then you have to make some compromises for public trust. And so, look, first of all, if you're a public company versus privately held company, you want to raise money from the public, you have to give up certain information you otherwise don't have to give up about how you're much paying people, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So if you want business from the government, I think you should have to give it all up. If you want to be, because obviously I believe a lot of work should be done by government rather than farmed out anyway. But if you want to get it farmed out and you want to make that money from us, we have a right to know what you're doing. Is that ridiculous? Or what you see in Chapel Hill with bids? Were you able to put the whole thing up?
1: Wait, we didn't touch bids, but I mean, I, I didn't agree you with you. We um, just didn't get around to it. Um, it wasn't on the high priority, low hanging fruit list. Um, so, you know, when you first, start a project, you kind of do the 80, 20 thing where you yeah. get, you know, the easiest stuff and then yeah. put that up. And uh, hopefully that's also valuable. Um, but yeah, I mean, fundamentally, if it's a public record, it's, the
0: information should be public. All right. We're talking about public information and police accountability with Daniel Dunn. So what brought you to Hamden?
1: Yeah, actually. Uh, so my partner, um, she uh, is a librarian and got a job up here so
0: where? I moved uh at Yale I knew Yale, I knew that word was going to come up okay so you <laughs> got I came up here for Yale and what what are you doing for living up here
1: uh same thing I'm doing systems design
0: um, where do you, systems, do you do
1: that uh for a small company we are solutions they're based out of Atlanta Georgia
0: oh so everything's remote yeah yeah systems design so that's kind of what you were bringing to this huh? and uh yeah. and so um You had some other issues come up. Let me give you a critique from a retired cop about some of your work. I think it was inherent in some of Daniel Hunt's comment there. When you were raising some of these questions, um, someone wrote in who's a retired cop, anyone involved in protesting against police are never able to make impartial judgments involving police issues. It's an insane choice, and the officers in Hamden should watch out for her and the others who side with that view. That's you and Rhonda, I guess, Caldwell, one of the others. I don't want a police force made up of officers who have to look over their shoulder for the adversary in the police commission office that leads to hesitation and in police work that will get officers hurt. So that's the perspective of old school cop. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that?
1: Uh, I'd say that's uh, misguided. Certainly. Um, the charge of the police commission is to provide oversight and accountability. The entire point really. Um, so to say we should just continue being deferential or continue to look the other way or continue to, support without investigating
0: um is patently absurd and against the charge of the commission itself. Is there a danger of taking an adversarial rather than an impartial seeming? I mean I understand from this cop's view, any look is adversarial. And I disagree with that officers. I don't think it's adversarial to say we should independently look at something. And I understand the police are so used to because the power of the union who got named to police commissions, they were used to never being monitored the way other people in other professions are, even those of us who don't have badges and guns and can kill people. But do you think he might have a point that sometimes it feels adversarial that if people are marching against police and their commission say, "Oh no, we got you know people who think we stink in charge of us, so we're not going to get a fair shake."
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I can see how people
0: can view it that way. Um, Or is there something you guys can do to assuage that? Um, I don't know what that would mean. Like, uh, you know, managing perceptions really isn't right. It's not up to you what somebody else thinks. But so, for instance, the um. Some of the protests that the mayor was part of about when a hand police officer, Devin Eaton, shot um, this really horrible shooting. these unarmed people, Paul, with a spoon and, and, uh, and um, Stephanie Washington in a car a few years ago. The protests that came from the uh, police accountable movement in and imme- demanded their immediate um, firing. Hmm. They prevented the police commission from meeting when it wasn't on the agenda saying this is so important. We're going to yell and not let you meet unless you fire them immediately. And their argument was, there's a due process. People have unions and labor rights. This is being invested by the state's attorney. We're doing an internal investigation. The person's on leave, but there's a process. Do you think the act, those actions would give police officers a legitimate reason to think they're not getting a fair shake? Or did you agree that they should be immediately, they, they said this is so obvious, it was on video, this is so wrong, how can you not just fire the person? What did you think?
1: Well, I mean, I certainly need to follow the process, but the process has to be a good one, right? Do you think it's
0: a good process to have put someone on administrative duty, have them criminally investigated as well as internally investigated to make sure all the facts are in before they're fired?
1: Yeah, certainly. I think every public employee has that right, and that's certainly consistent with the contract. Um, How that plays out if justice is expeditious is another story.
0: So what should have happened differently? How should the police commission and the police department handle that differently?
1: Well, they certainly should have been able to review that, and the the process for discipline should have been expeditious, right? Get the facts as soon as possible, get it in front of the commission, get it through the process, give the accused a fair shake, and follow what it says i mean so so much of what we're asking for on the commission is just do what is already written down right. in the charter We are not asking we are not even asking for mild reforms; we're just asking to follow the actual process. And there's been such a normalization of deviance mm. in our processes that they're essentially broken and that there is no oversight.
0: Wow. That's a great, uh, vote there. Okay. So Daniel Dunn, there's a new police chief search going on. How are you feeling about that search? They're pick it. What do you want to see and how do you want to see it done?
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that n- no members of the com- uh, police commission are on that. Um, I think that would have been useful and, and certainly expand that, that no, search. Is, committee. They
0: no, is that because they're going to have to vote on it later?
1: Uh, I'm not I'm not sure in the certain the reasons why um, we were excluded, but certainly there should be a, a broader group of people on that search committee. Um, and, you know, we we need chief that's willing to look into these processes that we've talked about today and change them or take them seriously.
0: Do you think it would be helpful to have someone who would institute regular reviews of use of force, not as a disciplinary process, but as a review process?
1: Absolutely. And that, you know, that, that, should, be, that should be being done anyway. There, there's so many times on these use of force reports um, where the notes are just complies with policy, but there's no learning that appears to be happening based on the forms. Um, there's no critical analysis of this use of force. Or, and I can, I can understand the hesitancy because then it might lead to discipline,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And if your, if your goal is to protect your officers, right. then you don't want to get to that point where you're being even slightly self-critical.
0: And um, Daniel Hunt's question was to his point. So the department is short staff, at least according to the department, mm. they have a lot of vacancies. They had six new cops coming on. You voted five. You voted abstention. You didn't say yes or no, and you said no to one person, in Bridgeport. Why did you uh, make those decisions? Uh,
1: yeah, certainly. So for the uh, candidates, I voted no on. I found reasons that were disqualifying to hire them. Um, for the abstentions, I felt I didn't have enough information to vote either way. Um, and I'm, and I, I believe we we voted no to hiring one person and they did not get hired. Um, And and this, this process is also kind of unusual because the officer in Bridgeport who was recently hired the commission voted no on the first go around. So it's, it's unusual that they would get two bites of the apple, so to speak with the same commission, uh, unless new information is provided that would profoundly change our minds.
0: Daniel Hunt says the police commission should not be on a police search committee. Give people from the community opportunity beyond it. We have a voice, too. Are you saying either or?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think we just need more members on that chief search committee. Uh, we need more members of diverse backgrounds, um, members who are um, critical of the police. I think that's that's what we're missing in all of these systems is just a critical analysis of what's going on.
0: Are you, is the. Hamden Police Commission, like the New Haven Commission, also the traffic commission. Yes. How, how did LTA. that happen? I think it's a kind of a
1: wonky state. Um, like state we say, strength.
0: last will and testament. was like combining <laughs> Scottish and. <laughs> English. uh, And and it's a lot of work, you know, being on these two and... Why do they combine it? Because policing involves oversight. It involves some
1: enforcement. But traffic
0: commission has to do with design of roads, right? Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot
1: of traffic solutions that are design and engineering problems. And and to the town's credit, um, the new uh, head of the LTA is... What's LTA? uh, The traffic authority, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that is... uh, the town engineer now. Um, so the chief provides backup regarding enforcement issues, mm-hmm. but the engineer is now kind of at the forefront of these traffic
0: issues. So, so it's but it's the thing. same commission, right? How much of your time is being spent on that? how do you feel about the issues before the traffic commission? Traffic has been a big issue in town. I know, right. especially in the um, near the new Haven border there by the uh, Hamden hall. What, uh, what, what's, what's specifically on your radar there and how, what kind of work are you doing on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's uh, efforts and transparency to be made there, certainly with with regard to the prioritization of traffic issues as they come into the traffic authority. So people will um, have issues or complaints about speeding or unsafe traffic conditions, and they they will go before the traffic authority, but we don't really know how or why they're being prioritized. Um, So if we can get that
0: list in front of the public so that Mm -hmm. they know,
1: what's being addressed, what they can expect to see, what instruction perhaps or capital improvements. Well, do you happen. think the
0: commission would feel comfortable with you volunteering to do that? I mean, you've done this. Right.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually, I put together a, uh, with, with the help of another commissioner, a process for receiving oh, those issues. I right, see so ahead of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we did that. And now we're just kind of asking, it's kind of a more streamlined process. So it, You don't have to wait a month for the traffic authority to vote on your stop sign. Let me read this photo it
0: disappears. (laughs) Replying to, because I'm not good at systems Mm -hmm. and my comments disappear. Replying to Daniel Hunt, the police commissioner is more like a community oversight position. So, yes, he should be there. Justin, so glad that we have a dedicated commissioner up to the task. Greta, Daniel Hunt, volunteered to be on the committee. Okay, thanks for those comments, everybody. Um, Is City, he's mentioned the engineer of the town. Is that the person you played Dungeons and Dragons? With? <laughs> yes, it is. So now, tell me about that happen and why Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, he's my neighbor, and uh, I, <laughs> I, I,
1: I've been playing D and D since I was a nerdy, uh, acne-faced, twelve-year-old. Twelve years old?
0: <laughs> yes. See, I never got into it. See, I always like science fiction, but not fantasy. Yeah. Is this the fantasy realm? Yeah. I never. And what D and D could take forever, right? So you can't be like, yeah. like ADHD or anything like that,
1: right? <laughs> Yeah, no, no. It's uh you know, it's a, it's a game of imagination and storytelling. And how do you win? You don't, you you win by having fun. I think that's, oh, that's, that's great.
0: The, that's the other. Thing. So the big question is as a police commissioner, are you winning by having fun? <laughs> I wish are I you were you having fun. You, you're not having fun? <laughs> no, no, no. Really? Really. Should you do it if you're not having fun? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. why isn't it fun? Like sometimes people say fighting for justice is fun. Well,
1: it, it's stressful. Certainly. Uh, it takes a toll on you personally. Um, there are a lot of, um, I think, unfair criticisms and personal attacks, which don't really get under my skin, but kind I of just dis- that
0: now in public life, all the personal attacks. It's hard yeah. to disagree.
1: But, but it, it distracts from the real issues um, mm-hmm. and the valid issues um, that we're discussing. And it, it prohibits change from occurring because it,
0: a lot of this stuff gets lost in the noise. Daniel, I, I can triple and quadruple that sentiment. Daniel Hunt replies <laughs> to and Boudreaux. Actually, he has to be on the committee. Never heard a response from the Capital M Mayor. So, um, Daniel, uh, thanks for coming on today. Do you have any other plans to get involved in civic life in Hamden? Or is this, like, enough already? Back to Dungeons and Dragons. No,
1: no, I'm definitely not going to run for office. You know, um, (laughs) um, I I just want things to improve. I want to reduce harm and tell the truth.
0: Are there any other um, commissions you'd like to be on?
1: No. Okay. (laughs) Two well, is enough for me for right
0: now. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, it's been really nice you get to know you a little bit. I'm so interested in the work you're doing. I'm so interested in the issues you've been raising, bringing the systems analysis and oversight mission to Thanks. volunteer public service. Oh, Abdul Razak Osmanu says, happy to have two North Carolinans in Dunn and White doing some good work." Dunn and White sounds like either a consulting firm or a country <laughs> duet. Who's White?
1: Oh, that's uh, Stephen. Stephen, the town engineer.
0: Okay. Dungeons and Dragons Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Daniel Dunn. What a pleasure to chat with you. I'm so glad you came by. Thank you. Um, Harry Drost, behind the controls, doing a great job as always. And thanks to everyone who wrote in. It was great to hear from you. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience, performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free, from the group CD "A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night. The WNHH, New Haven and Hamden's home for community radio.